So welcome all to the third episode of the Dale and Masha show. If you don't know already, I'm Dale and this is Masha. Hi y'all. Hey. So in today's episode, it's all about looking into the future of sorts. And if you've worked at a startup before, you know that not only are you building and shipping and pivoting at light speed, but you're also kind of daydreaming about what the future holds and what the possibilities of the app could be, where it could go, where we could go as a team, kind of like gazing into the crystal ball, so to speak. You know what they say that like, if you're not learning, you're not living. And if you're not daydreaming about the future, are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> Babe, are you okay? <laughs> Love that. So daydreaming, daydreaming stuff into reality is something I love doing, especially on the farm. I love walking around and being like, okay, we can put the barn here. We can put the hay storage here. We can put the goats here. We can do all of this. The brown pen will go here. We'll train the horses here. You know, it's really important to keep like one foot in the present and then one foot in the future and nothing in the past because the past don't matter. <laughs> it's gone. And it's, it's, it's gone. It's and over. you don't need to worry about it, okay? Mm -hmm. And I feel like, Masha, maybe that's why you and I get along so well is because we both love being like, okay, this is where we are. Love it. But like, this is where we could go, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the many reasons I think why we get along is this kind of imagineering the future while also trying to be pragmatic in the present. But you sort of can't do one without the other, right? Like, what are you working on if you can't imagine the future in which the thing you're working on is already built and already exists and is already helping people and scaling efforts and doing all those things. So um, yeah, can't have one without the other. 100%. Where do you usually do your best thinking? Because I know you're a very deep thinker. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, I have uh, an advanced technique called SBI. If you are not familiar, SBI stands for shower-based innovation which is candidly where I do my best thinking. You just you get in the shower and you start shampooing and the thoughts just, you know, they manifest. And a part of this, it's funny, we laugh about it, right? But there's actually some research that talks about the fact that when you're doing an activity that is fairly rote, like in the sense that you've already, obviously you've showered many times in your life, but the same applies to like washing dishes or maybe driving somewhere that you've been a hundred times, right? When you're doing something that allows your brain to essentially go into like autopilot or default mode network, there is a wave of creativity that just comes over you because your brain is not too preoccupied with the thing that you have to do in the present. It's doing that on autopilot. So yeah, I do my best thinking in the shower. What about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, the times where I really need to do like super deep thinking would kind of be like if there's a problem that mm -hmm. I had to solve. And a lot of times like on the farm, it would 
like usually a problem, like solving it the right way would either be like a ton of time or like a ton of resources, but it's like a super like now problem that I have to solve. So I'll kind of like think on it like nonchalantly throughout the day. And then it either will come up in the shower, like how you said, or in the middle of the night, I will like arise out of a deep sleep <laughs> and be like, I have come up with the ultimate problem solver. Eureka. <laughs> Eureka. I got it. <laughs> Yeah, like seriously. I, I feel like a good example of that was when I was trying to figure out what to do with the chickens this year. Remember how I was talking about that? Right. About how we were like, mm, last year we just got so much snow. It was so windy. The yeah, birds. It was so cold you know, for them. Yeah. And it's like six months out of the year where they're like living in their coop and they can't leave the coop. And in the in the summer, they have their coop on wheels. Right. So we move them through the pasture and they like live their best life. But in the winter, I like, I feel bad for the little guys. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came up with our little hamster tunnel that goes from the chicken coop to the greenhouse. And then they just go in between like little hamsters. <laughs> and they're that. just like, and they're just living their best life. But like right now, it's like spring outside. So yeah. they're out in the sun, like frolicking in the dirt. That's right. what they love to do. I mean, that's okay because it's, uh, you know, February in, in Canada and it'll get to be winter again, like all through February and all through March. So they still have the time to use their little tunnel yeah. and <laughs> run around in the greenhouse. But I love that, right? It's such a creative solution to the fact that otherwise they would be cooped up the whole literally cooped literally, up the, yeah. <laughs> the whole time that it is winter which is half a year here right and they they wouldn't uh, be as happy as they are obviously running around during the summer to their own volition and so yeah yep. I think that's a great solution you've come up with <laughs> well thank you and I mean there's lots of other examples like that but like we know that in the SaaS industry software is something that usually solves a problem as well and I know how like the topic of today's podcast is about the future maybe you could tell me about what you've been thinking about like where the future of glow stick could go and i always find this super fascinating because you're honestly one of the most humbly intelligent people i know and i really like how your brain works oh so, appreciate that yeah i mean we have good chats <laughs> but yeah marshall what do you see in the crystal ball yeah i think there's actually a fairly clear image in my head. I don't have an exact timeline, obviously, but I think over the next, safely can say over the next couple of years, maybe as many as five, we are going to live in quite a different world than we do today. We're already seeing inklings of this with the early applications of AI and with the early kind of understanding of where the trade-offs are between people doing the tasks versus AI doing the tasks versus there being some kind of a tandem team. But I think where we're going to go, and this is just like, I'm just going to drop this and then we can walk back from it, right? I really see within the next couple of years, this emergence of what I like to call unified customer understanding platforms. And what that really means is there is a organization-wide way for everyone to understand how the work that they're doing impacts the end customer, but also inform the work that they're doing from insights based on customer actions or customer conversations, right? So today, just to sort of give the contrast, 
there are a lot of these disparate systems that have in them some kind of pieces of customer intelligence, right? We have things like product analytics platforms that detect what the customer is doing within the actual product offering. We have CRMs, obviously, that have the contact details of customers, as well as potentially, you know, notes from activities and those kinds of things. We have these whole, you know, qualitative platforms that have conversational intelligence in them. So they record all these Zoom meetings and all the conversations that customers are having. We have support systems that also collect the problems, the tickets, the whatever, right? Knowledge bases, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this like vast and fairly disjointed plethora of information that exists at the level of information, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm seeing as an outcome, and I think we've been moving in this direction anyway, but it's just that I think we now finally have the technology that enables the ability to actually like make sense of that largesse of the information, right? Because we have so much volume here, like it's just humanly impossible to go through all of it. Now with the power of LLMs on the summarization side, also the querying, right? There is actually an opportunity to bring this all together into a much more cohesive set of customer understanding. And that's why I call it Unified Customer Understanding Platform and have our tasks as we go through our day and think about how we can serve our customers better be informed by information that we already have about our customers. So that's kind of where I see the future going. And I don't think it's like, you know, the distant future. I really see this as we're seeing kind of steps and glimpses of it now already. It's just, I think we're going to make a really big shift towards that at some point, and then we'll, we won't go back. Right. So kind of like using insights that or signals that you see from what customers are saying and using those to rocket ship your business into a certain direction, right? Exactly. And it can be like obviously near and dear to our heart at Glowstick is the conversational intelligence piece of it, right? Having an understanding of what customers are literally saying, right? In whatever kind of venue, whether it be a Zoom conversation, right? Or it could be any kind of textual input, frankly, but currently focusing on these kind of video call recordings. That is one clear way to elicit customer signal. Because a lot of the things that we want to be able to do in SaaS starts with a conversation with a customer, right? A lot of the things we cannot infer from quantitative type data in terms of usage or consumption that is much more easily tracked on kind of the product side of the house. So what I think is the, there's like two key turning points, right? One is the connection between qualitative data and quantitative data, bringing those things together. So we talked about product analytics, consumption, the usage-based stuff that is very clear, concrete, factual, like driven by the numbers and observable. And then the sort of qualitative side of the house, which is also like clear and factual, but arguably not observable other than through direct conversation and question asking, right? So marrying Mm -hmm. those two things together and understanding how they influence each other and understanding kind of the connecting the what and the why, I think that is really where that signal in the clearest possible sense really gets crystallized. But then of course, there's all the stuff that comes downstream from that, right? And we can talk about that, but like the signal is one thing, detecting that signal within all the data and turning the data into information, highlighting the pieces of it that you really want is the first step, 
But then there's all that other stuff downstream from it that allows you to actually do something about it, right? Right. So if you were to like speak on the qualitative side, how would you like fuse the the data and the recommendation or the action, I guess? So like yeah. data, action, and like how would you kind of be able to actually action it? <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great question too, because a lot of the times, and I think this has to be a prerequisite for the implementation of these kinds of customer understanding platforms, the signal on its own is not enough. Like, mm -hmm. I think we've had, we've been drowning in data. And of course, not all of it is actual useful signal, right? So there's a whole problem of kind of sorting the wheat from the chaff, not to use a farming analogy when I know nothing about farming, but you do. <laughs> I hope I said that right. I don't know. But anyway, like sorting out the signal from the noise is one problem. But then just having the even the best signal means nothing if you can't act on it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for a really long time, we've had systems that are either insights systems that find the signal in the noise. Yeah, or, and then there's a whole bunch of signals and you're just like, wait, right, so what? What, what do what I do? I supposed so to do what? This? Yeah. And we had separate systems which were kind of workflow systems. They were like enabling the actioning of stuff, right? Like running business processes, whatever they might be. That was like a set of systems that did that. I think the thing that we must now demand from our vendors is the marrying of those things, right? It's the insight and the action. And in fact, a recommended action, like this is what, you know, butchering the English language completely. This is what I call an insight mendation. Like you need to have the insight and the recommended action and the ability to take it immediately in order to actually augment the like human performer of the task in a meaningful way. Yeah, exactly. So you have the insight, you have the action, but like, how would these be prioritized, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how would you even know what to do next? Yeah. And I think that's the next really interesting question and a really interesting problem that we're trying to understand how to solve for, because there is a lot to be said. And this is something that humans are really good at is interpretation, right? And we can come up, we can see one thing, one signal, one fact, one piece of data and interpret it in myriad ways. And what's interesting about that is that that's both kind of a strength and potentially a weakness in the sense that if you and I are working together and we look at one piece of data and we each interpret it differently, mm. <laughs> the action that we infer is the best action to take from that piece of data is going to be different because our interpretation right. is different, right? Yeah, like so how do you scale that? Exactly. Yeah. And how do you align it, right? So I think that's part of the work that we do, of course, as part of the process, like, you know, in our like weekly planning, that's one of the things that we do is we all as a team stare at signals and then we put forward our interpretations of them. And then it's, you know, it's always fascinating to see how two people can interpret an individual signal differently. So there's also a huge amount of context that needs to be involved in providing the right incitementation to the right person at the right time. It depends so much on the role of the person, you know, like what are they actually trying to accomplish? And also to your point, the prioritization, right? Like what is the most important thing to 
work on now? Because the last thing we want to do is just overwhelm people either with insights or potential actions to take. Like we're, I don't think any of us need more things added to our to-do list. It would be really nice though, if we had some help in terms of the potential for impact and kind of understanding how we try them on our to-do list impacts the future and like drives towards the ultimate goals that we're trying to achieve, right? So I think that's why there's also an outcomes component to it. And that's what we, like a lot of the times, that's what we will use as a team once we've looked at signals, once we've put together our interpretations of them, then we use the agreed upon global outcomes towards which we are driving, right? And these mm-hmm. people call these goals or objectives or whatever they might be to then prioritize the options that we might have or the actions that we might take based on those interpretations of the signals, right? Yeah. And ultimately those outcomes that we come up with generally well I guess it depends on which side of the org you're in like if you're on the product side or if you're on the sales side the the outcomes could be different but I would say on the product side the outcomes are usually tied into the customer right like like actually delivering the value yeah totally and I think it's interesting because my hypothesis here is that the the ultimate set of outcomes for an organization is probably not that large and common enough to be able to share them across, right? Like even, you know, per it, within each of our episodes, we have what, like three to five outcomes broadly that we're driving towards, right? And those are covering the breadth of the organization. And a lot of the times those are like, I guess, internal outcomes towards which we are striving as a business. And then within each of those areas, we'll have customer outcomes that we're trying to enable that Mm -hmm. help us become a successful business. Because to your point, you know, you said this at the very beginning of the episode, we have to solve a customer problem. Otherwise, why are we building software? Why are we here? (laughs) Exactly. It's like, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to solve customer problems, provide customer value, uh, you know, unlock use cases that were previously thought uh, impossible with new technology or whatever. But yeah, ultimately, I think all of it comes down to customer outcomes. Otherwise, you have no company outcomes. Yeah, for sure. Almost Mm. like hashtag value delivered, we usually say. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, the value has to be customer value, right? So yeah. Yeah. I guess SaaS as a as the core is, you know, software as a service. So software being like assisting or helping or the act of like a helpful activity. So that would ultimately come down to providing value. Mm -hmm. I guess, how would you know that you're at that hashtag value delivered piece? Like, how do we usually get to that point? Yeah. And I think this is the interesting part of it too, is this is a natural loop right? So we talked about originally using signals and interpreting those signals, whether it be from qualitative customer conversations or quantitative data like website visits or product usage or whatever it might be, right? Using that to inform your interpretations and then creating sort of options to further move those or move towards the outcomes. As you do those things, you generate through the act of doing them new signals, right? Mm -hmm. And then it sort of just loops back. So then it's a very iterative 
cycle where always the action of doing something. So imagine you have an insight mandation and you take it and you actually perform the action that generates more data for you, right? That generates more signal. And then you feed that back into that system. And whether, again, it's something that you can observe from a quantitative standpoint where you created a new feature and a bunch of people logged in and they stayed and they achieved some outcome that is really important to them, great. Like there's your quantitative data around that feature is bringing value, right? But sometimes it's really difficult to infer from just the quantitative data, the why. You can tell what's happening, but it's hard for you to tell the why. And candidly, the only way, way I've understood to be able to elicit the why is to have those conversations that we reference, right? That's why we got to have that marriage between the quantitative and the qualitative stuff. Have the conversation with the customer and ask the why, whether it be through surveys or conversations just like this one, like live ones. That then gives you a much thicker data set uh, to then feed back into your signal processing system, right? And so to me, it's like a really generative forward loop that mm -hmm. allows you to use the inputs from your customer as information towards prioritization, towards taking action, towards making your thing, whatever your thing is, better over time and therefore more valuable to your customers and therefore a better company that you're building. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I feel like that's easy to say as a startup because we have like six people and we're able to go on post hog and like stare at somebody going in and like being like, what did they do? What, why did they click that? Mm -hmm. You know, like, like this person said this to me on a discovery call. I'd like to share it with the entire team. Like that type of thing like that's another signal that we would share yeah so I mean as a startup we have a smaller amount of signals to kind of decipher but if it were a huge company like how would they be able to scale that and share that amongst everybody right I think this is a great question I don't know the answer to it I think this is the part that we need to figure out and kind of design for. One immediate thought that comes to mind is that even in a large company, I don't know, take like an IBM, right? They have over 300,000 employees. Clearly, all those folks are not working together all the time on the same thing, right? So some signals are only going to be pertinent to some subset of those folks. And candidly, mm -hmm. the majority of teams eventually scales out from being able to work as a team, even within really, really large organizations. You still have to have some kind of a breakdown into meaningful groups. And there's lots of different models for this, like the, you know, the Spotify squad model, the, the whatever, like agile and safe and all that stuff. But ultimately, I think from a conceptual standpoint, like we can just, there's only so many folks that as an individual, you can work with meaningfully within the span of, you know, a week, a month, a quarter. So in a way, I think the routing of the insights becomes more important if it's in a larger organization, right? So you need to really be clear about, okay, you've extracted this particular insight from a customer conversation. 
it's probably not applicable to the entirety of the organization. And in fact, if you share it that far, it might be misconstrued as noise and teach folks to actually ignore signals from the system, right? As we know, like that's something that's becomes a problem when you get too many notifications from something, you'll just slam it, slam your phone down and ignore the notifications from that app entirely. So we can't get into that kind of a situation. So routing, I think, becomes much more important in a larger organizational context. But my hunch anyway, is that the underlying principles and systems that we are designing for that kind of iterative loop still very much prevail. It's just that A, they need to be routed really well. And I think B, there's probably some kind of a hierarchy of outcomes that then you can start to model. So we talked about, we are six people, we have three to five outcomes towards which we are shooting in a three-month episode. There's lots of systems like OKRs, for example, objectives and key results that have that kind of hierarchical structure built into them where between six people, three to five is fine. But if we had 60 people, then maybe there's a three to five on a company level. And then those get kind of disaggregated down into more focused ones per team. And so then your little loops might be multiple within a company and they just need to, you need to make sure that they roll up into one that is cohesive and meaningful hierarchically. But my hunch, like I said, is with proper routing and proper kind of disaggregation of the outcomes, you still have the same vibe to it, just multiplied across multiple teams. But like, we still have to solve for this eventually, right? When we kind of like deploy this within larger and larger teams, within Mm -hmm. larger and larger customers across multiple use cases. Because that's the other thing here is that We've also been using the technology of Glowstick to serve multiple use cases within our customers, right? We have already used the same technology for lead generation for post-sales teams. We've used that same technology to help them qualify existing opportunities that are being passed along from, let's say, CS to AM. So qualification, less so than identification, right? Different kind of use case. Then there's the whole approach to detecting competitor mentions and who of them are incumbents within our customer base. So let's say if someone has a rip and replace motion, that for them could generate a lead source or constitute a lead source, but it doesn't have to, right? Like it might actually just be data and information towards running that play later, So that's another use case that we've also figured out how to enable. We've detected risk before. We've detected potentially like pain points and goals and needs. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of apply that same technology to elicit different kinds of signals, depending on what's interesting to you and candidly, what quickly accomplishes your goal. So I think that's another way to scale it is to understand what kinds of insights you need towards which goal that is the most important to you in terms of outcomes. Yeah, 100%. Like you need to figure out like what are your outcomes. Exactly. And yeah. And then everything we... starts from that. Like I do think that that is something from a where do we go in terms of what becomes more inherently human, like less uh, automatable or less outsourceable to AI. 
I think a lot of it has to do with goal definition and therefore creating or curating the capabilities that you need in order to get to that goal, right? So like if your goal is to generate more post-sales pipeline, you're going to want AI to detect leads and present them to your sellers so that they can qualify it and run the opportunity. But if your goal is not just to build pipeline, but let's say you have enough pipeline, but you need to be able to qualify that, that's a different goal, right? And you as a human being who is working within the system and trying to understand what the outcomes are, are really well positioned to then curate the type of insights and the type of AI that you need in order to achieve those goals best. Yeah, I feel like that's such an important thing to highlight that people are so afraid that AI is going to like take over their jobs, but it's actually just going to like augment them in a better way (laughs) or a more a way that they can do their job better. Right? Yeah. I wonder too, if this underlying fear of AI that we see in folks sometimes has to do with fear of change or fear of the unknown more broadly, because Mm -hmm. it is actually really hard. Even if you try and you go in the shower and you try to think about (laughs) what the implications of AI could be on your particular role, it's hard to imagine exactly how that's going to evolve. What it would be, yeah. Right? Because it's difficult to know the breakthroughs in this space have both come at like breakneck speed, but also completely unpredictably, right? Before we had the LLM kind of approach, there was deep learning had already been around for quite some time, right? As an approach, we had chatbots quite for a while. So like the the advent of chat GPT kind of came out of nowhere in a sense. Like, I don't know if anybody could have predicted the timing of that, uh, less that, you know, nobody could have predicted that it would happen, but just the timing of it and the accuracy of it and the, the level of advancement. So how can you sort of really imagineer what the actual impact of something that you cannot predict what it's going to be or when it's going to come be on your role, right? So I kind of Mm -hmm. feel like the real question here is really just like, do you kind of fear the unknown or fear the uncertain here? Yeah. Like, are you watching too many sci-fi movies? Right. Or that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I think to your point, there is an opportunity to see this as an evolutionary change where some of the things that we do today are going to be automated away sure but that does mean immediately like you you see this already today immediately when you outsource a task to uh, you know an llm or just generally like you go into chat gpt and it does something for you that leaves you more time to do more things and different things than you would have before, right? So mm-hmm. I don't, I've never been in a situation, <laughs> I guess it depends uh, for everybody, right? But I've never been in a situation where I was like, I have too much time and not enough work to do. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I don't know. We'll see. Like, we'll see where this yeah. goes. But I, I just think it's going to be very, very different. I mm-hmm. don't think that it's going to be the same and now humans have no work to do right yeah and I think it's all about 
kind of adapting to, to mm-hmm. the new technology. Like humans, we we've been adapting to new technology. Like even just look at the past hundred years. Right. Like imagine somebody born like a hundred years ago. Like they're like, damn, I saw a change in technology. You know, like right. I remember when the there was a, the first color movie. Like yeah. And obviously there was different types of like apocalyptic thoughts, you know? Mm, yeah, and like I feel dystopian like predictions. Dystopian mm-hmm. predictions. And yeah. um, AI is obviously one of the present now. But yeah, I feel like it just comes down to adopting and being able to just use it as a tool versus being scared of it, right? Yeah. And I guess the the thing is we have the responsibility to think about ways in which it is currently being deployed in a way that is inequitable, right? And there is inherent bias in systems and all those things. So we do have a responsibility to design those systems in a way that is fair. But I think it would be kind of at this point inevitable that a change is going to come. Like what would be a good reason for us to squash the entirety of the potential upside of the AI implementation. And I think it would have to be like really dire. And I know we're getting kind of more into like the really philosophical stuff, but <laughs> I think maybe I'll just say to me anyway, the the upside potential of applying AI in a way that is fair and equitable and we understand the potential implications and we try to protect for those, I think is way higher in terms of positive outcomes than people sometimes tend to worry about. I think that there's just so much potential. Agreed. We've had the notion of next best action and actionable insights and all those things for decades. Like back when I was working in BI, like business intelligence stuff, it was everywhere and we were trying to determine that. But I think it's just we can finally do it in a very meaningful way on a very large amount of data with mm-hmm. like the technology application that exists today to a degree of accuracy that is acceptable and desirable within the business. And so I think that's the big difference that we've enabled now. It's not a new concept, but I think we need to, people should demand it of their vendors like there are ways to do this now i don't think we should settle for less like how are people doing this right now like i would be curious about like what other startups are doing do they have a monday exploration like (laughs) us like what are they doing to like definitely not like us let's be real no like nobody's like I think I thought you were going to ask about like what other like software is doing, but I think to me, like Mm. the example of Google Analytics is very explicit where like they have a section of insights and they have a section of recommendations and they're separate and they do not inform each other. There's like no connection in between them. And I think that's the part that I think now we just have to push back on because it just doesn't make any sense. Like you have these signals coming through and not informing your next actions is ludicrous yeah like what's the point (laughs) or having to figure that out yourself right in a lot of conversational intelligence companies you're like the software allows you to track 
mentions of certain things, right? Where you can put in like a, hey, I want to be notified, like let's word. say, yeah, like a, tra- yeah. Like a keyword or, or even a concept or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that's great. But like, I don't really need to be pinged about that. I need something to happen, right? I need the action. I need the recommendation, right? What do I do about this? And for now, I think a lot of the status quo, or I guess even like maybe the the best in the market is really just about the detection, right? Like here's the insight. And then there's a whole separate yeah. actioning, you know, workflow, whatever part. And I think we're just going to see this like sea change towards people no longer being willing to go, okay, I have this insight. Now I have to think about stuff and do a bunch of stuff in the background and only then be able to apply it. Like we're going to marry that stuff together. And uh, if a company doesn't have that, then they're going to lose, I think. Yeah. And especially to like, if you had to think of one insight from say a customer conversation that you weren't there or something, or you were there, it doesn't really matter, but say you had one, but I'm sure you have how many customer conversations or how many customer conversations are even happening. So you would have like a whole list of insights and then, and then have to think through all of those. So if there was something that could marry the two and like bring that recommendation and be like that you need to do this, or this is, I could recommend you to do that and then be able to kind of do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Technology is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. Well, thanks y'all for listening to our third episode. We will see you next time. And thanks for being here. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> the Dale and Masha show is now streaming on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. <laughs>